0: Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Aviation Views with me Chris Cooper from Busy Aviation. I did promise on the last episode that we were going to speak about some commercial aviation topics. That is still coming and we're just waiting for our guest to get time in his very busy schedule so we can do our first interview. So I thought I'd just add in another episode really following on from the Threat and Error Management episode that it did last, and some of the stuff that I've been listening to this week. One of the really interesting sites that I follow, and I really suggest you do as well, and we've mentioned them on the website before, is Angle of Attack. Now, Angle of Attack is a flying school. Uh, it's run by Chris the CFI out in Alaska, and he has a big social media presence, but also an excellent one. And I hope he doesn't mind, but I'm going to quote some of the stuff that he's been using this week. Um, when it comes to aviation safety, particularly pointed towards general aviation safety. Uh, and on his latest podcast, it highlighted something that I hadn't seen before, I wasn't aware of, and that was the FAA hazardous attitudes analysis. He has put these into his 10 commandments, which I think are really quite interesting. Um, I'm not going to go through them all, because uh, you can go and listen to his podcast, but The first one of his 10 commandments is, thou shalt be safe. I thought that was really quite interesting. Of course, everyone wants to be safe unless they're somewhat of a lunatic, but the way he describes it is really quite nice because safety is a choice. You get to pick whether you're going to be safe or not. And in his podcast, he mentions the fact that we see the same accidents again and again. And quite recently, particularly in the States, we've seen numerous accidents which are just repeats of very common causes or root causes, something like flying into IMC, uh, VFR to IMC. Uh, There's an inference on one of the latest accidents that a control lock was left in place and the aircraft pitched up violently and crashed shortly after takeoff. And the opinion is that uh, maybe... control locks were left but a control uh, check wasn't done so people probably are not reading the accident reports or they're just ignoring them they're also probably ignoring some good advice from some very experienced and knowledgeable aviators when this happens we have to think was that person was that pilot thinking safety is a choice you get to pick Or shall I just ignore it? And this is where it came in with the uh, FAA hazard attitudes about making good decisions. Uh, And I thought they were really quite interesting. The first one of them is anti-authority. So we don't meet many people who flagrantly break the rules, but it does happen. And it happens not so much to a large extent, but it's a combination of rule-breaking. For example... People flying aircraft into IMC or IFR conditions, and their aircraft isn't certified to do so. That kind of thing may be fine, but if you add it on to another anti-authority, rule-breaking type of decision, then it can just lead to something else. I think we talked about that in the threat and error management. It's it's the Swiss cheese that everyone talks about, where all the holes line up. So. One thing, oh, my aircraft is fine to fly IMC, even though it hasn't been inspected or certified to do so. And then you add on something else, and that's where the accident comes from. So that's quite interesting anti authority. Um, the next one uh, that the FA mentioned is impulsivity, and that's the requirement to do something quickly, well, not the requirement, but the, I suppose, the attitude to do something quickly. And I think we all probably are guilty of that at times, where we should really just sit on our hands and have a think, whether it's in the planning stage or even in airborne stage, is that uh, we tend to rush into decisions. Some decisions, of course, we have to make quickly, but others we don't. And I see this more recently from sitting on the ground, looking at poor weather, where people have made decisions very quickly and then gone off um, and probably got away with it. Again, it's the Swiss cheese. You will get away with it once. And that leads quite nicely into the third one is invulnerability. And this one has really hit home to me just recently. Uh, The attitude of, it won't happen to me. Quite a strange one, this, because I think we're all hardwired to accept risk as humans. Otherwise, we would never probably get in the cockpit itself if we thought every time we got in, we were going to crash or something bad was going to happen. We just wouldn't go flying. But I've seen it quite a lot in the recent past where people think that accidents happen to other people. And sadly, that's not the case. They happen to all of us. They can happen to all of us. And that's why we need to do everything we can when it comes to Chris's Ten Commandments or these hazardous attitudes to avoid it. And I think it's really sad when people go and do stupid things where it could easily have been avoided. A decision could have been made earlier just not to go or to seek advice. And then they think it won't happen to them or they've never had that experience where it has happened to them and they've got away with it and had a big scare. And it's something... I see more in general aviation than I see in commercial aviation. But I have to say that in commercial aviation that I have seen accidents and I do believe it's possible that it could happen to me. Next one is macho. Um, I can do it. Hold my beer. Watch this. Have you ever seen it do this? Look at this. Wow. You know, that kind of attitude. It's something um, probably not in the so much in the British culture, but again, we do see it. And the last one in the five that the FAA come up with is resignation. Resignation in this sense means, well, what's the use? You know, when something goes well for me, it's good luck. And when it goes badly, it's just bad luck. I'm just resigned to the fact that I can't do anything about it. And I'll just let what's going to happen to me happen. The last one, and I've just put it in, And you'll have to excuse me, Um, I think uh, some people called it, I think Chris in his podcast called it it know-it-all, whereas I've put it down as smart ass." the I-know-better-than-you attitude. Again, something that not seen so much in multi-crew commercial environments, but definitely seen frequently around general aviation airfields, where people are reluctant just to either consider good advice or make safety a choice, i.e. make it their choice to listen, to take good advice, to read the accident reports, to avoid having the same accidents again. So I thought that was really quite interesting, and I'd never seen it before. Um, I would suggest going to Chris's uh, website, angleofattack.com. It's got some great stuff on there, some really interesting videos about flying around Alaska, Uh, featured one recently Uh, he goes to uh, fly around Mount McKinsey which is now called and the name escapes me for the moment Denali I've just remembered yeah it's 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 really great stuff really interesting stuff I definitely have it down on my uh, bucket list aviation bucket list uh, to get out there and either do some of the float flying or ski flying uh, that Chris has done recently so go check it out angle of attack dot uh, com. He's got a podcast. He's got uh, he does videos. It uh, does a blog. Uh, it's really good stuff. I was lastly going to mention on the subject, uh, and I don't want to be all doom and gloom uh, about safety. Because it's pretty much most of what we've discussed in the last couple of podcasts has been about safety. Is one of the um, tactics that we use in commercial aviation, and worth considering is decision making. It's DODAR. Our there are so many acronyms, abbreviations, when it comes to human factors, and sometimes it's really hard to remember them or, or just to put them into action because you spend most of the time trying to remember what they all stand for. But DODA, when it comes to handling emergencies or unusual situations, is something that I've been taught and we teach in the simulator to allow pilots that time to go back, not be impulsive, to sit on your hands, and make good decisions. So DODA, what does it stand for? So the D, to diagnose. So diagnose what's what's just happened. I mean, it could be an emergency, like a, an engine fire, or it could just be running short of fuel. It could be encountering bad weather. The O in the DODA is options. What are my options now? What is my plan going to be? What is my escape plan going to be to get me out of this situation? Or what is the option uh, when it comes to an engine fire. Does that involve immediately turning the aircraft to the ground? If you've got extinguishing systems, obviously after a fire drill. So the options that you have, and if you're with other people, you need to consider the options that they bring to the table as well. The second D in the DODA is decide. You then need to make a decision. Again, single pilot, it's only you. You make the decision. And generally, you need to stick to that decision at this stage. So once you made the decision, you need to act, or in the case of multi-crew environment, you need to assign that uh, certain task to the rest of your crew. Um, so you need to act on that decision now and carry out the plan. And the R in DODAR is review. So once you're enacting your plan and you have time, you then need to review the decision you've made and how that plan is now progressing because there's nothing wrong, although you've made a decision, is to change that plan because something might have changed. The weather might have changed. The aircraft state might have changed. There's loads of reasons why you need to go back and review it. So I thought that was quite interesting. And it kind of ties in with all the things we've spoken about uh, in the last podcast and and in today with the uh, the hazardous attitudes and, and Chris's 10 commandments. I haven't mentioned all of Chris's 10 commandments. So I'm going back to his podcast, but there, there are others, some of them are aligned to flying training because Chris is CFI, but really good stuff. Let's move away for a little bit, away from accidents and safety. And other stuff I've been looking at this week, or look at virtually every day, uh, is a publication called AvWeb. Uh, you may have heard of this, but you can sign up to the newsletter. It's an American uh, website and newsletter. But one of the main editors or presenters on Avweb is a guy called Paul Bartarelli. If you've not seen him, he's a probably an acquired taste, a uh, very dry sense of humor, but I really like the stuff he puts out. He's uh, quite an interesting guy, quite uh, an experienced GA pilot uh, and has a really nice way of putting things across, but also can be quite controversial, which I kind of like. He's mentioned recently the accident that happened. Uh, to a display pilot out in the States. I'll let you go and find that when you look at the AV website about doing control checks. Uh, We mentioned that earlier. And there's also, there's something more controversial, which is, uh, you may have seen it, uh, the young lady, Zara Rutherford, who's flying around the world in a shark ultralight. Uh, and uh, good luck to her as well. I've been following her progress. I think uh, the last time I looked, she was in Colombia, and she's been through uh, Necker Island and played tennis with Richard Branson, and it's a fantastic adventure for what will be the youngest female to fly around the world solo And we've, once she's successful. Uh, but Paul uh, sticks another kind of slant on it, and there is some talk, of course, that Zara... Is fairly inexperienced. I think she only, I may be wrong, maybe only got her uh, PPL last year and has quite low hours. And she's a VFR only pilot, which, if you follow her on Flight Radar or on her website, which is excellent, you can see that quite often she's fairly low altitudes, staying uh, away from IFR, IMC. And she's doing this, obviously, to progress and promote young females getting into aviation and STEM subjects. And I think it's it's, it's absolutely admirable. And uh, I wish I had half her guts, half her bravery uh, to do what she's doing. And uh, she's ably supported by her father, who's an experienced aviator. But it's really good stuff. But getting back to the subject, Paul puts uh, a different, slightly different slant on it uh, on whether this was actually a wise decision to try and attempt an around-the-world Flight in an ultralight when you're not particularly that well qualified or experienced. And there's been various uh, comments in the article that he wrote. Uh, I think the article is called Sticker STEM on it. Uh, and basically, Paul's slightly controversial opinion is that if you say STEM on anything at the moment, you're doing it for STEM, then you can pretty much do what you want. Of course, we've all got a free choice to do what we want but worth a read really worth a read and uh really worth a read of the comments as well but good luck to uh good luck to Zara uh Fly Solo she is one brave young lady and uh, I wish her all the best of luck and uh, I hope to see her back in I think she uh, set off from Belgium so um Belgium and so we hope to see her back there safely soon and and the last one that I picked out from Paul this week uh well not this week it's a slightly older article is about billionaires in space which is highly amusing, and what Paul's opinions are about space tourism uh, and how it is going to affect us all or not affect us all. Uh, it's uh, apparently, you know, it's the opinion that it opens up space travel for all. Well, it does, as long as you're a billionaire. Uh, and there's some highly amusing comments on, on the whole article. Although Paul says he's not adverse to going on one of these flights, I think he says he's going to wait for. Uh, Elon Musk and and SpaceX for space tourism because uh, he thinks that's a better bet. And in recent news from the FAA that you're looking quite closely at the Virgin Galactic flight, that it may have gone outside of its designated area on its uh, trajectory. So there are questions being asked how safe the flight actually was. And I think there's some really good quotes in there. I think uh, one of the comments was that the difference between a rocket And a bomb is a very thin line. And the thinner that line is, the better the rocket is. (laughs) So maybe rockets are not the best vehicle for open space travel. But we wait and see. Uh, It's interesting stuff and it's quite exciting. you found that interesting. A little bit of uh, some of the news that I've picked up this week and further back, some of the websites and articles uh, about aviation one last thing I was going to cover and this is really a, a question for everyone and something that I'm trying to figure out is around um, I'm sorry to cut back to it but it's about safety again but it's about drones um there was a, a recent um, collision with a, a 172 again out in America where a, a police drone was flown I think actually inside the 80Z uh, of an airfield and they've come into contact. And if you look up on the website, on the on the web, you can find pictures of this 172. And it's obviously taken quite a large dent to the cowling on the underside. And it would appear to me that they've been extremely lucky. And in my day job, it's something that we are getting quite interested in because we have been approached or I was approached by a company that are able to track drone launches and drone flying, particularly around busy airfields. And it was quite interesting to see how many drones are actually being launched on a daily basis, uh, particularly around popular venues, uh, this one, particularly ones near the seaside. And uh, it appears that the availability of the smaller drones is such that they are being taken just like a camera would be for recording people's day's visits to the seaside. It was reasonably scary <laughs> when I saw it uh, as to how many drones are actually flying. Now, the altitude they were flying at, I didn't look that closely in, but it's something that we're going to pursue and, and take a better look at. But I'd be interested to hear people's views. And if you can, put it in the comments, put it on your comments on your favourite uh, podcast software. and and see if you actually think there is a risk to drones and GA in particular, uh, the altitudes that we fly at. I would be uh, really quite uh, interested to see what other people think whether you think that's a problem. There is obviously the big sky theory, which is slightly flawed because there is a big sky, but of course a lot of us are crammed into very small pieces of that big sky. And quite often those small pieces of sky are where the drones are being flown as well so if you can as if you get a moment either drop us a line or say add it to the comments and whether you think it's an issue do you think it's a worry that you have all the time or you've just thought about it or you don't care it doesn't even come into your consideration or be really interested to hear if you actually fly drones for pleasure or even commercially uh, the one out in America was a police drone so it was actually being flown commercially uh, and I'm not sure of the absolute details of that why it ended up in an ATZ or without them knowing but it happened and if it happened out there we generally follow on from the states uh, in the UK a few years later or even quicker now uh, and so it could certainly happen over here so I'd be interested to hear your views and it's something that I want to talk about probably on our next podcast. So that's it for today. It was a bit of a fill in uh, and a little bit of a, a ramble, a Sunday ramble around my thoughts around safety, but also the stuff that's happening. And hopefully you found it interesting. Please sign up to our newsletter on the website. If you get a moment, please subscribe to this podcast using uh, your favourite podcast app and uh, visit the website, please. Www.busyaviation.co.uk. We've just added uh, a couple of articles, uh, one about conversion of EASA licenses to UK licenses, where there's plenty of links there that you can follow to help you with that process if you're in that situation. And there's lots of other stuff going on the website as well. Of course, we're buying and selling aircraft on there. You can do that for free at the moment. And there's some really interesting uh, GA aircraft on there uh, for you to take a look at. And I thoroughly encourage you to do so. Thanks for listening. Take care, fly safe.